and welcome back. This is Further Every Day, part two. If you missed part one, we did it last week. If you want introductions, go ahead and go back. There will be a card somewhere up there saying, uh, go back and watch part one. But we are rejoined by Mr. Dennis Mark. How are you, sir? Good, good. Yes. Glad to have you on still. So this is just a continuation. It's been a week for y'all, but it's been a 10-minute water break for us. We're jumping back in. We've talked about the theological and philosophical questions y'all sent in, and now we are at the cultural questions. So this is going to be kind of interesting. Some of these were real humdingers, yes. <laughs> so they're, they're, they're good, uh, but let's dig in for just a moment. Here's a question. Pornography is usually practiced between consenting adults, quote unquote. Why should we prohibit anything to do with artistic expression? Mm. Well, the key word there is usually that, you, that yep. you put into that question. Usually, usually it is, but in more cases, it's not. Unfortunately, the reality is that most pornography is um, actually just trafficking with a camera. Um, there's still going to be somebody that's benefiting from that. Um, and it, it's a it, it it still does things to the person even in and again that concept of of choice right they're they're doing this by choice but there's still a, a an emotional consequence that goes on in the mind and in the heart uh, to that reality uh, but the reality is um, you know yes you can have that freedom of expression but once that freedom of expression crosses the boundary of exploitation, then it's no longer an expression. It is exploitation. So again, that's a, that's a delicate topic. You know, we have had uh, women in our, in our program that, that were victims, victimized in pornography. Um, and again, the consumer doesn't see that part of it. Cause again, it's all the marketing aspect of the, the whole thing is to make it look like this is the best thing on the planet. And this is, you know, this woman's enjoying this and, and the reality is that she's not. And I think you know, we were, I remember reading an article, I think in 2019, 2020, I can't remember, but that year they suffered like 27 suicides from porn stars. Um, uh, and so if it is such a great lifestyle, and then why were these people struggling with this in the, yeah. in the case of, of committing suicide? And and reading the stories about these, um, these young people who committed suicide, it was because of the abuse that they encountered, um, um, both physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, all those things, but there's also good stories. There's been some good stories about some people who've come out of pornography and now come to Christ and and felt you know better about their life uh, being turned around like that. And they would tell you about the horrors of that. So what you see on camera or on video is not the true story of what pornography really is. Uh, and again, you know what it does to your own mind when you do that. You know, um, like you can be addicted to a drug, and a drug eventually will leave your body. Uh, unfortunately, the images that you record in your brain using pornography never will. So you're always going to have those flashbacks, those memories, those intrusive thoughts. Um, and, uh, it would, you know, I, years ago I, I asked the question, and this would be an interesting research project, but the, in, the increase in the amount of pornography available online, um, you know, it used to be you had to go to a seedy part of town to go someplace to a video store, rent a video, whatever, order it online, whatever you did. But now it's just, it's in your home. It's, you can order it. You can get it on the internet. It's very accessible. But you would be wondering about the, 
the similarities between the increase in the availability of pornography and the increase of erectile dysfunction drugs. Yes. And seeing, you know, why those parallels, if there's a parallel that exists, because I think a lot of the, you know, the, the way the brain works when it gets stimulated that way, that the ability to have actual human contact gets debilitated to a point where nobody can even feel an emotion toward another human being because there, there's a disconnect now because of that, what the pornography has done to the brain. So there, there's a lot there and, <laughs> and there's a lot to unpack and I don't want to get necessarily too technical because I don't have the stats directly in front of me. It's right. something I'm just thinking about thinking back to the stats on and the data on connection. Cause we, we, we talked about um, bonding theory a little bit in the last segment. When you have that kind of contact, there are neural pathways that are created. When you have that kind of experience through a screen, I'm talking about you right now. I'm not talking about the, the person on the other end who's right. being exploited just, just to start with, and then let's get to that. But just viewing it through a screen, you are generating irreversible bonds with someone. Right. And what does that do to the person though, who is committing it with multiple partners, either under duress or not? Cause I've known, I've known people who did it consensually and then they came out of it and they said, I was absolutely taken advantage of, even though I was making money, I was enjoying the lifestyle. I came out of it and I realized, oh my gosh, I have been so much has been taken. Yeah. I think what the kind of the underlying uh, issue with this too is because of the the impact that it has on an emotional well-being of an individual, right? You have to do something to disassociate, disassociate from the reality that you're in. And typically the easiest way to do that is to medicate yourself. And so typically, uh, you know, somebody's going to start using something and that something is usually going to be provided by someone. And so you get into a point now you become indebted to that person uh, and dependent upon that person. And they're using your, you know, your situation to profit from. And so, uh, it's another level of exploitation. Uh, now you're you're providing something that they absolutely need, um, and that causes again more damage to the brain because of the drug interactions that are going on. But so there's multiple aspects of this that can be really, you know, irreversible in some in some cases to a point where somebody doesn't they lose hope they lose all hope because of the amount of shame and guilt that they feel for it. And then again, what's happened to them from a, a relational standpoint, and then also the physical aspect of the drug interactions. So it's, it's a lot to consider that not only are you damaging yourself, but you are actively, even if it's free or even if you're paying for it, I'm just one guy. Well, you're one of billions who are doing this, right? but people will, will go a step further. And someone, someone sent in this question. I think this is an interesting one. They said, what would you say to the person who says, everyone needs to sow their wild oats and experience sexuality of various kinds before they get married and they settle down? What's wrong with, with, with doing that with someone who's doing it willingly if it ultimately benefits marriage in the future? Yeah, I, I think that, um, again, it, it creates, you know, uh, I, I talk about this all the time with our ladies. There is, we live in a world of expectation, Right. We, we we almost live live and breathe an expectation. Uh, advertising is built on expectation, right? And so if you get this product or you have this car or whatever, you're going to feel this way, right? So that expectation is always being generated for, for something. Uh, even in marriage, you know, you have 
expectations in marriage. You have expectations in your job. All these expectations are there. But then comes the reality. <laughs> the reality is always going to be different than the expectation. It's always going to be less than than the expectation. And that's why we live in such a world filled with such disappointment because all the things that were being promised through advertising is not living up to the expectation that are being set, right? And so the same thing is in this situation where you are engaging in acts of um, a, with a person who is being forced, coursed into doing whatever you want for, for whatever price you're willing to pay, right? And so you, you, you do not have the ability to say no to that customer, right? You have no ability. So the expectation there, so now if you take that expectation into a marriage or into a relationship and the reality is not going to be the same, then you're you're setting up yourself for failure there, right? And so that's one of the realities. I mean, even for the ladies coming in, they have an expectation of their own healing, right? They, I, I, I made one bad decision, and so therefore I'm going to be great and I'll be able to not do this anymore, but that's not the reality for them. They it misses the mark for them in so many ways. And so um, so I think that expectation versus reality is the biggest thing here with that question about marriage, you know, sowing your wild oats. Um, and again, you know, I, I when I teach my class on um, the reality of survivor care, and even when I'm talking to the ladies, um, you know, Scripture is very clear about um, the power that sex has in a person. God created it um, for the purpose of unifying a husband and a wife that's its intent right and it's very very critical to understand how much power sex has on us uh and in in that concept and the way that i can paint that is my daughters used to come home from school and they would tell me a story about one of their girlfriends that they knew in school who was in a relationship with some boy and uh they broke up and now she's crying right she's crying and, and, and so my question to my daughter would be, well, were, were they having sex? And, well, yeah, they were having sex. So, okay, well, here's the reality here. You know, the, the reality is that the way that God built the woman is that the sex is an act of union, right? It is, it is be, to be given to the man who is going to be her provider, her protector uh, for the rest of their lives, right? That's the way God built the woman to think about sex, right? Whereas the man, it really is built in him about procreation, right? It's, to, it, you know, be fruitful, multiply. So there's a, two aspects of this, right? And so for the woman, when she gives herself to the man, inside her, she knows, her body knows, her heart knows, her mind knows that it was intended to be lifetime, and so when it doesn't become the lifetime, there is much disappointment, much shame, much, you know, guilt about that. And so it's a heartbreaking experience, right? And so that's the reality of the power of sex. And so when it is manipulated, when it is perversed, when it is, you know, made wicked, then it has that kind of effect on the people that are involved in it. So, you know, we've actually had a woman one time that was sitting with my wife and she made this comment. Uh, she'd been um, about six years. She'd been in the life and being trafficked, um, and uh, she was having a cigarette one night at two o'clock in the morning with my wife. And she looked at my wife and she said, uh, "You know, the biggest thing that I'm scared of about relationship is I don't know how to have sex." My wife was like, "Are you serious? You really? You just came out of prostitution?" She goes, "No, no, no. That's different, right? That's different. I'm talking about relationship sex. You know, having." connection to the individual so even in her situation she knew 
there was more to it than just the act, that there's an there's actual relationship connection to the other human being. And so my wife responded to her and said, well, hopefully when that time comes, you'll be in a married, committed relationship with someone who loves you and understands the situation that you've come from, and it won't matter at that point in time. So that was the answer that my wife gave, which was definitely a God answer. But I think that, that power there, and so when we, when we corrupt it, right, with our, with our way of thinking, with our bent toward evil, toward, toward bad things, then it's going to corrupt the sex aspect of what God had God really created to be something holy and beautiful. Uh, I, I was just thinking, I don't know as I've heard any pastor explain that as well as what that was right there. Beautiful job. It, it really is. And I, I think it would do our young people good to listen to that because it, it I've never, I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure that I've really looked at it in two different aspects. And as a Bible study teacher, what have I said? Procreation, procreation, procreation. That's not how our female students are necessarily thinking of that. Yeah. And so that was a very enlightening moment for me. And light bulbs were just popping. Well, you've got two sides, right? You've got the side of the man that wants to have a family. And you want, you have a woman who wants to be in a family. Well, and it, it, and it, it, they're, they're two very similar things, but they are distinct. Very there different. is a sharp line drawn. Yeah. And, and, and that's something that you just don't get in that exchange. Right. right. And, and women use sex as a, as a bonding issue with their mate. And it's a very strong bonding issue with women. And, uh, you know, once you've, had that that broken by various men it's hard to repair at times it's kind of like a you know a crushed car that you stick in a crusher it's hard to to pull it apart and turn it whole again because you still have all of the problems that are there but they're underlying you know and uh but you know, they still have to be dealt with at various times because they're going to come up at various times. Because women with sex, it is like like Dennis had talked about, it's a strong bonding issue with women, very much so. I asked a woman one time, I asked her, you know, because on an average day, a, a, a woman who's being trafficked, she can see anywhere from 10 to 15 guys a day, right? Uh, and so I asked her, how do you, how do you mentally prepare for that, that, that reality, right? You know that you're going to, that day, this is what's going to happen with you, right? And I said, how do you prepare for that? And, and she simply said, well, I'm hoping at that point in time in, in that situation that at some point in time there will be a different outcome, meaning that she'll actually get rescued from it, that the man will come in and actually not abuse her and not take advantage of her and you know, and want to help her you know that's she's always hoping for the, the 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 situation that will be different in that situation you know and so it's 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 crazy right and then the other i want to go back to this other question too i think that's so critical is we have to look at this um as a reality uh, and i and i usually get myself in trouble with this one but i'm, I'm going to jump in there because i like getting in trouble sometimes but we have to change the viewpoint of what 
sex trafficking really looks like, right? Because trafficking is it, it's a term that's kind of confusing. People think about movement and all that, right? And it's, it's really about the exploitation. But if you take a woman who has been forced, frauded, or in, more importantly, coerced into this, right? She's been made this decision based on manipulation and coercion. And so she's really not a willing participant, right? Mm-hmm. Not really. She's not, her body knows, there's a book that's called Body, the body Keeps Score, and the body knows when it's being violated by somebody that's not supposed to be mm-hmm. in relationship with it. It knows. Uh, we understand that from the psychology and the neurobiology of trauma related to sexual assault. The body knows, the brain knows, this is another person that I'm wanting to have sex with. So the, the woman's having sex with someone that she really doesn't want to, and so when we talk about that, when we define what it is, a woman not wanting to have sex with someone who is having sex with her, what is that called? Assault. A sexual assault, right? That changes right. the dynamic. And, you know, when people sit there and say, well, you know, it's, it's just exchange of money, two consenting adults exchange of money for sex. It's not a big deal. No. This woman is being sexually assaulted by someone she mm-hmm. doesn't want to have a relationship That's with. Exactly right. And so it changes. So now we're talking, you know, the fact that when a woman is in our program for a year, she has roughly avoided bet- between 3,600 and 5,000 sexual assaults in a year. Golly. Right? And so that those, when we start talking about the reality of what this really is and the violation against the human body uh, of a woman and what it does to the brain from a neurobiological standpoint, um, the same amount of same stuff that goes on in that situation of sexual assault is the same thing that happens when every time a woman is violated because you have a, a sexual assault can be a one-time event but when you're talking about a trafficking victim who's seeing 12 to 15 men a day over a period of years that becomes that's disturbing uh, yeah and it sh- that's the reality so when you're saying that oh i just need to sow my wild oats what you're saying is if i go out and buy a woman and have sex with her i'm paying the right to have sex to sexually assault her Correct. And that's not, that's nothing yeah. good can come out of that at all that, for anybody. So you know, part of that is, is just building a culture where we hold brothers accountable. Mm-hmm. Like, like we need to be holding men accountable. But then also, I, I, I don't want to be really trite, but I, I'd like you to kind of express how we imbue into our young men when they're four years old, seven years old, in that time frame, the value of the fair sex, but then also you started to kind of lean towards it a little bit when, when I, I heard good for you on the radio, you know, just, I was training channels like, wow, this is a bop song. I listened to it. And then I come home, I look up the lyrics cause it disturbed me. <laughs> and it's like, where is this young lady's father? What do we need to be doing for our girls to bomb proof them against slipping into this? And, you know, nothing is truly bomb-proof. No. But, but how do we start to bomb-proof our young men? And then how do we start to bomb-proof our young women as parents? Uh, I mean, you have to lead by example. I mean, you, you know, that's the important aspect of this, is how you treat women, right? So one of the things that's critical, uh, spent, my wife and I spent seven and a half years living in the safe house with the women. So we were mom and dad basically to, to a lot of these women. And so we, we got to spend, you know, a lot of time with these women. We'd 
eat dinner with them and, and ha- play games with them and watch TV together. It's just like a family situation. And people always ask, well, did they ever flirt with you? And I'm like, they never flirted with me because of the way that I loved Bobby. It was the way I loved my wife, the way I showed her my affections. It, it safeguarded that situation for them. They're like, well, this guy's not even interested in us because he, he loves his wife so much. But it also, they got to see how I treated her in that way, right? So it really begins with leadership of the, in the household by the husband, the way he treats his wife. The respect, right? What does he watch on TV? Does he bounce his eyes when something that shows up on TV that he shouldn't be looking at? Because you know, th- th- being able to 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 not look at a, a person and and objectify them is so critical. There was a, a TED talk that was done years ago called the Bikini Study, and I would encourage anybody to go out and look at this. It was a fascinating study. But the Bikini Study basically was they wired up men's brains. And they showed them different images. And so the first set of images they showed them were the women in dress suits and nice clothes and dressed for business, casual, whatever. And the part of the brain that fired during that, that was looking at those images was the part of the brain that wants to build relationship with that individual, right? So it's, it's understanding that this is a human being and now I'm going to connect them. So they took the same group of men and they put women, put some pictures of women in lingerie and bathing suits. And the, that brain, part of the brain that, was firing before wasn't even active now the part of the brain that fired was the part that uses tools mm-hmm. meaning that mm-hmm. the, what to be used right that person's to be used as a tool and so again what we put into our minds you know so it's very important so as a, as a husband as a father what you look at what you how you treat women all these things they're being you're being watched by your children and everything that you th- you think you're saying may be different from what you're doing, and that what you're doing is speaking volumes to them. And by the way, dads, what you have in the house, what you have on your phone, mm. just and 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 this is a this is a warning to to all of us because I've noticed, you know, it you give it a little bit, and all of a sudden you realize, whoa. What just happened? But right. I can't tell you how many stories I hear of friends, family, you know, um, you know, my, my, my uncles got into it when they were invited over to someone's house and dad had the porn stashed. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, some of my, some of my aunts, right. People get into that and some of them fared well and some of them had a problem with it. Right. Right. So when you start to realize that you're, you don't live in a bubble. Your, your kids are watching you right. and they find out more about you than you realize. By the way, those weird TikTok videos, just think about your grandkids seeing those. <laughs> I'm just saying. But <laughs> I saw a funny meme about that today. You showed a picture of a, a, a really, you know, like a normal normal grandma, right? Picture. Yeah. Hey, we found a, when she was a young lady and it shows her, you know, this, we found a picture of your grandma and it was like in 20 or it was like 2009 and then it shows this one 2089. Look, we found a picture of your grandma and she's like, not even appropriate, you know, and exactly. uh, t- video and uh, uh, image of her. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly where we're going right now. So, so we, we want to start leading by example, but also we want to start to let these kids know you, you're made in the image of God by God who loves you. And, you know, things happen on this world. Man, mankind is evil, mm. but God has a purpose and a plan for you. And it's right. beautiful. I, I, I my, my parents, I, I really appreciate what they did is they really strove to put in self-esteem without pride. And it, 
no, nothing's bomb proof, but we need to be raising our kids. They're not too young at three years old to be talking to them about these concepts, three, right. four years old, start talking to them and it'll make a difference. And developmentally, four years old is a huge landmark, seven years old, their character's formed. Yep. So start with it there. Um, something else that, uh, that was asked was if men cannot get a date, doesn't the sex trade reduce sexual tension and therefore violence against women? <laughs> what would you say to that? Uh, insert lie here. <laughs> so, so read that question one more time. I'm going to make sure that I, I don't butcher this. Correct. So if men cannot get a date or if they can't get sex by dating, doesn't the sex trade reduce violence against women? Maybe, and, and if I could interject real quick here, Dennis, maybe the way, way to word this, because I don't see this as much of a dating issue as a marriage issue. Well, it's, it's all of the, it's all of the above. It's a whole swath. Yeah. So the reduction in violence is a common argument. What, what, what's the reality here? So the, the first thing I'm going to tackle here is the fact that you we use the word sex trade and no violence in the same sentence is so inappropriate because uh, again I think the, the reality is that people don't understand what what that reality is in the sex trade when it comes to violence right the the amount of violence that the women endure you know uh, we've had women come to us with broken and dislocated jaws and broken bones broken ribs um, we have one of the worst stories I've ever heard is a woman spent three months in a coma after they had to put her back to physically put her back together after what these guys did to her. Um, and so, you know, again, I think that's the, the, the consequence of society under, under valuing what this really is, because like I, I, I've talked about law enforcement before people would say, you know, they're going to start doing human trafficking investigations, trying to get rid of prostitution and all that. And people are like, well, that's, that's really a victimless crime. Why are you worrying about that? We need to be worrying about the bit more serious violent crimes out there. We're not, you know, this is just two consenting adults changing money for sex. So why is that a priority, right? And that tells you that they don't understand the, the, the violence associated with that aspect of it. And I think that's what's critical is that violence is just a part of the sex trade. It's, it's it, it, I, I have 140 stories in my head, of the 140 women who have been in our program, and the amount of violence in those 140 stories is uh, a l is hard to even think about, much less live with, right? So I don't. I, I, I trust God and God's sovereignty that he's doing something I can't understand in each one of these stories. But So I think that if you're sitting there thinking that you're justifying your actions of going out and buying one because you can't get sex any other way, uh, and it's not violent, then you're still sexually assaulting that woman because she doesn't want to do that in reality. And I want to, I want to ask you something else. And, and I know I'm stretching outside of maybe the boundaries of what, what we are talking about to an extent, but I, I think it's related. This is just me adding this in here. I want to get your opinion on the slippery slope argument with sex trafficking because sex trafficking un unfortunately often leads into minority or minor rather trafficking and that that age doesn't have a bottom limit does it no and when we're talking about violence 
you know, I, I don't want to get too graphic here, but we're talking about six-month-olds in some cases that if they do live, correct, they're, they're permanently scarred. So what, what are some, something to think about for our viewer when, when they hear that argument? How are minors affected and how often does this slide into from trafficking, say, adults to minors? I think that, you know, again, most of the people that we deal with um, were trafficked as children and grew up as, into adulthood, right? So Jeez. so often, oftentimes there's familial trafficking, which means that somebody in the family is trafficking this person for their own gain. Usually it could be for um, drugs, it could be for alcohol, it could be for whatever, right? So they're just trading their child whatever they need, right? So that there's no connection to that child. They're, again, they're just made a commodity, right? And so um, it, it's just the, the reality that, you know, and, and the biggest misunderstanding is that when a child is trafficked, it doesn't go away when they turn 18. Nothing, nothing changes for that person. They, they think that, oh, but now they're 18, they can make a choice. It, it, no, it doesn't happen that way, right? They're, they grow up in it, and it's just a, they learn how to survive. Everything they're doing is now to survive from the, the abuse that's happening there. And the way that we address this, and I, I relate a story that there was a woman in Florida who was trading her 14 and 16 year old daughters for a six pack of beer, a tank of gas, a corn of smokes, um, groceries, whatever she needed. You know, and people would say, I, I asked people, what's the tragedy there? Right? And they're like, well, it's obvious. And I said, is it? I'm like, well, yeah, it's, she was trafficking her 14, 16 year old daughters. And no, the, tra the real tragedy here is that Sin was in such control of this woman's life that she's willing to sell her 14 and 16 year old daughter, right? That's what we have to address. The address is that we, we're, when, we, when we make up justification things like this, like, well, this guy's not getting this, this is what he's going to do, right? It justifies our sin. That's what we're doing, right? Mm -hmm. So when we, when we do that, then everything's off the table, right? rules so it doesn't matter if i'm having sex with an adult or adult minor now because i'm just still committing sex with someone i'm having that sex with someone i don't i don't really care and and that becomes a the violation there is so deep for that individual they don't even seeing it because they're blinded by their sin so when people make that argument the the response is is the why do you keep using that word sex trafficking i don't think it means what you think it means right like it it, it is violent it is by nature graphic and gory and horrible. Yeah. And, and if, if not right now for your sample set of one friend who is involved in pornography, it might happen in just a short little while, right? It can, it can happen quickly. So just moving on to the chair of politics, I know you've got some questions here. Okay, cool. Awesome. So going into these questions about politics, my first question is this. Doesn't the Constitution provide freedom of association? Yeah, and I, I think when you're talking about that, um, you're, there's the two types, right? Um, but the one that you're thinking about here is from the uh, intimate association, right? That the government can't interfere with uh, intimate relationships with people, right? But again, this is where that line is drawn very hard uh, in the fact that when you're talking about association, freedom of association, when exploitation comes into play, then that nullifies that right for that person to have that 
freedom of association. So the exploitation changes the rule. For sure. And, and I was talking about the uh, yeah, intimate, yeah. not the expressive. Right. So I guess my question on the piggyback of that, how is allowing sex work any different from any occupation uh well again um there's a there's a term there sex work that is really tough for me to to, to, to deal with because again when we we use that term it's it's almost normalizing that that reality that's been created right and so people would say well that that person's just doing sex work but we don't know the underlying methodology that, that person got into that right they we don't know anything about the reality of what that really looks like and so it's not just sex work again it's the interjection of exploitation is the interjection of violence into that situation. Um, and most times, you know, if you're working a normal job, and my wife usually asks this question to the ladies, you know, because they ask, well, I'm just doing this by choice. I, I, I like doing this. And I said, okay, but if you wanted to quit, you know, like she goes, I work for Walmart. And when I work for Walmart, if I wanted to quit working at Walmart, I would just turn in my resignation and I would go find another job. So could you leave this work? And most typically the answer is no, they couldn't because they would get hurt. <laughs> yeah, and I was actually thinking about that. In Texas, we have a, we're a right-to-work state. Right. And in that case, the, it's the right of the, emplo- the employer to be able to fire you uh, and terminate your employment at will for no reason. But also part of that is the fact that the woman or whoever the employee is has the ability to tender their res- resignation and leave for out without any cause as well. Right. But – what you're pointing out in sex work is that it's not work. It is direct exploitation. Right. And, and, it's, and it's, it's almost as if in this line of work, the, it's a quid pro quo almost right. that you got going on there where it's like, okay, I'll give you this promotion if you sleep with me. That, and it goes to your point. That's not, right. that, that's not a, it's not a willful thing. Yeah, and it's like if you're going to, you know, if you're going to quit your job at Walmart, they're not going to break your teeth out of your mouth either, right? So if you try to leave, and so that's that's the other reality there. That, and they've seen that violence. I mean, you know, um, that's what they live in that world, and they know it's it's about survival, and and I have to do whatever it takes, not to get hit, not to get punched, you know, and and they'll do do it and and not not leave. I mean, they may try to. There's a thing called choosing up when they pick another pimp. Um, but they're not changing jobs. They're just changing the exploiter. Uh, prostitution really isn't an occupation. It's a form of chattel Not to slavery. make a laughing thing it, out of it, but, not. you know. It, it's, it, it's a ridiculous notion. Right. It's a ridiculous mm. notion that it's somehow no different from any other occupation. Yeah. I mean, if you, even if you have a woman who is, is <clears throat> in survival, right? She's doing prostitution because this is all she has. Mm-hmm. Is she still being exploited? Yes, because right. the person buying her is still exploiting her vulnerability, her right. needs for survival, right? And so to think that it's the person's not being exploited is ludicrous. I mean, it's, it right. is. It's like you said, it's uh, you know, a physical assault. But, you know, it also sounds like it's an extreme mental assault oh, on yeah. these women. I mean, it, you know, just to be able to deal with that is just extremely a mental assault also and it's it's interesting that these are the same people typically who have the hashtag me too on twitter in 2018 and i'm not doing this to 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 score political points but i do want to point something out our standard the judeo-christian standard has always been 
this is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And whether it's the boss allowing favors so that you can sleep your way up in corporate America, or if it is someone who's walking the streets because their family is in danger otherwise, or they are hooked, or they're in an abusive relationship, well, whatever the pimp has, we've always said this is wrong because it violates God's design Correct. and the value of the individual. I, again, I'm not here to, to, to whack at people. I'm here to say that ideology, that worldview that says hashtag me too, but also allows sex work. There, there's nothing under that, that worldview. It is hollow and there is rootless. Right. Sorry. Okay. I want to bring the scope in a little bit to our own backyard okay. and also to redeem ministries. So there's this claim out there that Houston is at the top of the sex trade for national and international export. Now, in light of recent events, what does the increase in volume of illegal border crossings mean for your ministry, the human trafficking industrial complex, and the political structure? Well, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, <laughs> so, first of all, I think, again, let's address the issue of Houston being number one. Uh, and this is, I'm not sure where that data came from. I know that number two, Texas ranks number two overall when it calls the National Trafficking Hotline. And those are just calls, either questions or reporting, whatever the case may be. So, from a standpoint of nationally speaking, we're number typically average number two. Uh, New York being number number one, and Houston, or Texas being number two, and then California and Florida kind of fight over each other. Um, so that's been typically the idea. But when it comes to being number one, um, that's really tough to tough to say. But I would say it's. The reason that we hear about so much in Houston, uh, and I get to, again, I got the opportunity to, to spend the last two years working with the HPD and the Human Trafficking Rescue Alliance to the Southern District of Texas Task Force, in which comprises of 37 law enforcement agencies, about 196 personnel, uh, with on an average 15 to 15 to 16 years uh, each detective with that. So you have your hundreds of years of experience um, because of that. That we have the ability, the, school, the, the skill sets, the tools in order to identify and investigate human trafficking. And in fact, 2019, the Southern District of Texas prosecuted 42% of all human trafficking cases in the United States. So that would say that we have a problem. But the reality is that we have the ability to see it, investigate it, and, 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 and arrest people and, and prosecute people. That's the reality. So that puts us number one in the fact that we, are, we have a number one response to human trafficking rather than we have a problem. So let's... Not put too fine a point on of it, but what you're saying is, is that for all we know, and very likely Chicago, L.A., any of these other large cities are quite possibly significantly more violent, significantly uh, more prevalent with the sex trade uh, issues, but it's not even reported. Correct. It's a matter of under-reporting and not not necessarily one way or the other over-reporting. Uh, a lack of political action on behalf of the uh, the state. Yeah, and the, the difficulty is because you you know when it comes to legislator uh, to legislator actually promoting laws and stuff, you have to have information regarding the problem, right? It, this is the truth or anything. You have to show that there's an issue. 
So when you don't have the ability to see it and you don't have, you know, and victims aren't going to self-identify. So when you don't see it, you don't hear about it, you don't know about it, why are we committing any resources to that, right? So that becomes the challenge, I think, for, for a lot of people. And again, it goes back to society's belief that, oh, it's just two adults exchanging money for sex. So it's not a big deal. It's not a violent crime. And so the perception is where we deal with this most of the time. Got you. And it, so go, so we have this perception problem, and we obviously can see across the board that there is some sort of underreporting going on. Right. Uh, but with the reporting that's happening and with the current state of things, what policy measures do you think could be implemented to potentially help this issue of underreporting but also increase the, the, the prosecution of these cases? Oh, it, it comes down to everything related to anything that we do in the, from the government is comes into funding, right? You got to, you got to pay people to count people. You got to pay people to, you know, to look for it, to report it, to prosecute it, investigate it, all those things. It, it takes funding and the funding is very limited compared to the amount of money that is generated in the sex trade, right? You, they're not even in the same ballpark. Um, and so when you have limited resources uh, available to go out and actually do this, so the, the way that we need to do it is get communities more involved in it through social action. And, and the remedy is not the government. The remedy is the church. That's, mm-hmm. that's where yeah. the resources need to come from because uh, that's where the real change is going to happen. And, and the government's got so many other things to deal with that sometimes this becomes a lesser priority. Now, with the situation of immigration, we talked. You, that was another part of your question about them coming across the border. That's again another myth. When we look at Houston alone, and this is probably true nationally speaking, eighty-five percent of the sex trafficking victims are not international victims. They're all domestic. I mean, they're American women, right? Because, again, uh, it's easier to find an American woman than it is to find an international woman because it's just politics of cartels and everything else. So you're dealing with more domestic victims of trafficking on the sex trade. Now, when we get on the other side of the fence of the labor sex, tr- labor trafficking side, then you're going to have a higher population of people there, right? So the fact is the reason that they're coming here is, again, they're, these people are exploiting them, their need for survival. So whatever they can't do in their own country, they're promising those things here, and unfortunately they're exploiting them when they get here to do that. So it's just a, it's a, that, that process of changing the perception of how people see us as a country this is not you know not all their dreams are going to be met here because people are going to exploit those dreams and you're going to get you're going to get taken advantage of and you and you hit at it the solution to all of these things is the church correct it is christ correct if the church fails to step up and take action then the culture is going to do what the culture is going to do right that's the thing is we, I think First uh, Corinthians said it best. First uh, Corinthians five, where he said Paul was talking about the world and about who he could judge. He said, "Why would I judge the world? The world is the world. But for those who are inside the body, you will you do need to be held accountable." Right. Was was yeah, and I agree with uh, that's exactly right. And and see that's where I think and like you had mentioned, we're talking about what the church is is that. The church has a tendency to not want to talk about the things that are poisonous. You know, they'll talk about things, say, like, you know, the poison ivy, because 
that doesn't affect you as much, but the poison, like a snake bite, the things that are likely to kill you mm -hmm. or cause big problems, right. they don't want to talk about. Well, because some of it's too close to home. And well, and also the, the scary reality is you, you talked about funding, and I know we talked about it earlier in the podcast, but the more I keep simmering on that thought that we, we spend more on luxuries than we do on actual missions, it really is a damning condemnation yep. of yes. the church. I'm yep. not going to say which church this was, but I was at a family budget meeting and, you know, church business meeting. And a $1.1, $1.2 million budget for this one church. It's not, it's not a really big church, uh, just, a, just, just a few hundred congregants. Only 200000 was going out to missions and less to local. Yeah. And I get it, but that, that, that there are needs I, in the church building. I get it. But that does not sit well with me that God's money is being spent that way. Yeah, I, I've always had a problem trying to figure out how waterfalls deal with the gospel, but that, that's another yeah, another yeah. podcast. And 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 we've we've we have we have talked about that to an extent. I would do want to get to one part of that one questioner's question on the issue of immigration. How does immigration affect the sex trade because you said it's only 85 percent uh is is local rather and only 15 percent right. is brought in so but you also did hit at a lot of people come here expecting one thing right and then when they get here whether it's a coyote that delivers them to the cartel or they're here illegally and they get picked up and pimped out yep what should we be doing policy wise as far as the border to reduce that exploitation. I mean, yeah, because again, it's the that it's we're putting people in vulnerable situations. Again, when it comes to either sex trafficking or labor trafficking, it's always going to be about the exploitation of that vulnerability, wherever that is. Right? It's just the same thing as like it, it, there are there was a study done in the state of Texas a few years ago that talked about the number of victims in the state of Texas, and I think the number. 79,000 kids, potentially trafficking victims, sex trafficking victims in the state of Texas. Uh, I think it was 212, 213,000 victims in labor trafficking in the state of Texas. And an untold number, I can't remember what the number is for adults in sex trafficking. But that's a, that's a, lot, of, that's a lot of people, right? Mm -hmm. You may want to guess how many uh, beds are dedicated to human trafficking victims in the United States. Man, I don't even well, want to guess that. Probably hundreds. 1,632. Wow. Right? Wow. Nothing. I mean, Judge Ted Pohl one time said that there are 6,500 animal shelters in the country. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, again, it comes down to priorities. Man. What is the priority, right, of, of the care? Because if we were to go out That's and rescue 3,000 women tomorrow from the sex trade, where would you put them, right? You're not helping them. You're just creating more vulnerabilities for them. So when it comes to policy, right, when we're talking about people coming across the border— what are we doing to reduce the vulnerabilities for these people, right? And, and the idea is that we need to, you know, talking about sending money overseas, we got to figure out ways to invest in ways to create pe opportunities for people in their own homes, right? And, but the problem is, here. Here, here's the trouble with that, is that corruption <laughs> yes. is rampant in other countries, you know, and, and sometimes in our own country. And so um, it's just, there's it's it's a complicated issue. And I think... 
we get trapped uh, into believing that it's a, we can do it in a black and white answer, and it's not a black and white answer. It's a very messy, complicated mess that we have in our hands, and there's no simple fix except for this, and, and I'll say two things. One, we should be praying like nobody's business about these issues. And two, what I love what our pastor said about this issue of immigration and people coming across the border. Do you remember in the story in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit came up on uh, the disciples? What happened there? Pentecost. Right. And who was there in the city when this all happened? The whole of the known world. A a lot of diverse. Right. There was a lot of diversity there being brought into Jerusalem for the Pentecost to occur, for that, for that t- t- explosion of the church to happen, right? So my pastor said one time, maybe the way we look at this as a church and as a policy is people coming in here is the world coming to the gospel yes. rather than the gospel going to the world. Mm. Man, you hit on mm. it. Because if you weren't going to say it, I was going to say, I have an unpopular opinion. I'm all for people immigrating from Central and South America if the church gets offered duff. Yep. And we reach out to them yep. and that makes them less vulnerable. Yep. If they have a church support structure exactly, and th- th- there needs to be a fast track for those who are here and have not been committing felonies, who have right. not been doing evil things. Right. And rather, you know, and so the, if the government really wanted to, if you want to give opportunities for the government to get involved, let the government invest in churches who have a, an army of people that can provide resources to these individuals, homes to these individuals, jobs to these individuals, so that they can have something to live on. Because, again, I don't think it's going to be fixed by policy in a way that will be useful for the kingdom. I mean, it's it's hard to understand. It's hard to, it's hard to live in this world right now where we have to trust that God's doing something even in our own government now, right? Amen. God, God puts people into p- places of power for His purpose, and and I, I I love the one thing. There was a movie I watched not too long ago where the people were speaking against the Romans, right? Because the Romans were such bad people to the Christians, and Paul was basically saying in this movie saying, "Who do you think put the Romans in charge?" Right, and. and you're, you're battling against God because God's doing something you, you you can't even see, can't even understand. So when we see these things happening, we have to look beyond what we get fed by the media and by the news and by politicians. We have to trust what God's doing. Look, Let's look at the God, Word of God and what does God want us to do rather than what everybody else is doing around us. We have to be the different voice in that situation in those circumstances. Amen. It's more important to know where you are working than what's happening in the White House or in Congress. Right. Focus more on who you are impacting right now. Right. Focus on who you're impacting right now and be part of that. And by the way, the church, if they want to bring a bunch of uh, people here illegally from Central and South America, all conservatives by belief, church do your job, go out and disciple and guess what's going to happen with the politics. It's going to be the biggest Looney Tune dynamite in their own face. I I think of it as a whiplash. Absolutely. It it would be a whiplash against what some evil people are hoping to do. God can do that if we focus. Now, 
as we're kind of getting close to the end of the time, we're finally down to the bottom of the stream is economics. Because after you've done with your theology, which informs how you think and how you live and how you govern, at the bottom line, a couple of really fun questions here. The very libertarian question, uh, you know, you'll hear this in like Portland, right? You'll see it on signs. Some of these women can, can only make this kind of money while doing sex work. Why would you rob them of that? Or why would you make it hard for them to do the work? Girls just trying to make a living. Yeah, that goes back to that term sex work again. Uh, it's almost a four-letter word. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and again, in the reality in the sex trade, when you're dealing with traffickers and pimps, they don't get that money. That's not their money. You know, when, when women come into our program, typically they only have the clothes on their back. But, the, you know, this girl that made $3,500 a day for a pimp, she had nothing to show for it, right? So she's not making anything. Because he was saving it for her. He was saving it for her, right? He's managing her account. And um, so, again, that's a, that's a, a misunderstanding, a, a misinformation about the fact that they're, they're making this money and it's doing it. Even if, if they're making money, they're making the money for themselves. Typically, they're not investing in themselves in any way, form or fashion. They're either supporting an addiction or whatever it is to just get by because, again, it takes such a toll on the, on the person of their humanity. You know, this reminds me of so, – so it's hilarious. You'll hear people talk about record deals. Uh, in the music industry, uh, there's this thing called a 360 where they put you into it and they take all your money, but they give you a little bit of money to start out. And they say, here you go. Now go do your work. We own everything that you have, but go do the work. And people talk terribly about that. People are like, that's the worst thing on earth. <laughs> and the irony is it's the same people who will then say, oh, sex work, what's wrong with that? Right. So just remember, what is your philosophy, your worldview founded on? Is it based on man being at the pinnacle or God? Because if there's an overarching structure, then there is a right and wrong. And then you have those values to fall upon. But I, I want to get the, the last question here. I already kind of asked this last time, but I want to bring it full circle. Being trafficked, you have an immeasurable value as an image bearer of God. How do we go about bomb-proofing our kids and then if we have an issue with someone and they weren't bomb-proofed, they came from a different family or, God forbid, they're in your family, how do we restore that person's self-worth? Mm. The, the, the reality is you have to understand the amount of collateral damage has been done to that person right i, I it's like like swallowing a hand grenade you're going to be picking out shrapnel for the rest of your life um and it's going to affect you in different ways and so um being able to understand um what they've gone through is so critical and again we're looking at it from a perspective of just stop for a moment and think about how god looks at us right how 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 bad can we mess up our lives in any given day right Simple choices, non-choices, action, non-action, whatever it is, what do we do? How do we, how do we, what do we live up to God's standard, right? And we fall short so many ways. It's not even measurable, I think. And so how we, ha we have to understand about ourselves. And so when you're dealing with somebody else that's coming from brokenness, 
you have to look at yourself and, and how God looks at you. Then you look at them like God would look at them, right? And you see them as God sees them through the brokenness and through all that and, and loving them through that. You know, I think one of the, the tragic mistakes of what we do with First Corinthians 13 uh, is that we don't really understand what that verse, those verses mean, right? Uh, we typically assign them to marriage and promote those in weddings. But, but what Paul is talking about really is the life of a Christian in service to other people that, you know, I actually did a, a thing one time on um, how do you do the work of restoration and human trafficking work. And I actually based it on first Corinthians 13 and all the thing, all the, all the components of that and how that plays into the restoration of an individual and in, in letting them see the image of God in themselves, because that's, it's hard to do. Uh, but I, I've also seen in this restoration process, I've seen a woman praise God for her exploitation, right? And you can get to that place of actually praising God for all the abuse that you went through and all the violence you endured and all the mistreatment and all the things that happened to you and still praise God because she said, through all that, I was now I'm able to, I, God has revealed himself to me in a a unique way that I, I could not have understood any other way. He had to get my attention, right? Uh, in fact, I just read Psalm 107 to the ladies just the other day. And Psalm 107 is has four discourses on the, the our ability to rebel against God and all the things that we do to ourselves. And it's not until we cry out to God does God help us or even allow other people to help us. So these four discourses are about different aspects of our life and and we can get ourselves into trouble so fast. And so helping people just walk this journey of healing is the number one way without judgment, without, you know, condemning them uh, and understanding the reality of what they've been through because it's not really them that's done this, right? It's Satan has done this. He's, he's meant to, to kill and destroy us uh, from the life that God intended us to have. And so that's where we have to look at them from. So I think that's the value is that we... We look at them as broken vessels like ours. So just to unpack that, because there's a lot there. What I'm hearing is, is we need to be their friends. Right. We need to be there with them, for them. Sometimes, uh, you know, I, I I have friends who they'll get on the phone and just talk, 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 talk. Right. And you've got to be there. You've just got to be there. And we call it we call it word vomiting. Uh, when they word vomit on you and you just have to li- sit there with a the word vomit on you for a while. Um, you know, but, but understanding again, understanding the dysregulation of behavior and emotions and um, all that is so critical because I have staff come to me sometimes and they'll say, man, she, you know, I'm trying to be nice today and she really mistreated me and was mean to me and cussed me out and, and all these things. And I'm like, man, that's awesome that they did that to you. And they're like, what do you, what do you mean? That's awesome. I said, that means they trusted you enough to, that they could share these feelings they never shared with anybody and you're not going to hurt them. That's what it, that's, that's the value that you be, be thankful that you were the person they trusted enough to, to pour this on because anybody else would have probably hurt them. And so take that. I mean, Jesus even talked about that fact of when people speak all kinds of things against you and, and hurt you and all that. There's, there's good about that. There's a lot of good about that. And so just be mindful of that. So again, being their friend, just understanding, you know, you don't have to have the answers. You don't have to have the solution. 
you just have to be present with them in the moment and understand mm-hmm. what's going on in their life that that is something that is horrible for them to even repeat. I mean, you know, a lot of the women, they don't want to come in and talk about what's happened to them. And a lot of them don't even, when they meet with their counselor, they don't even talk about the trafficking, the violence of the trafficking. They talk about the betrayal of the family. Wow. wow. Now, you know, that's a very wow. interesting thing right there, Dennis, is the betrayal of the family. Right. You know, to to have that kind of thing happen to you and be betrayed by your your family, where that's the biggest concern, and and not the trafficking issue, or even the assault that's that's going on with you from, say, the person that's you know, that's paying you the money, but the betrayal by your family. Yep. Person thinks that there's security in the family, and there should be. There absolutely should be. Right. So sometimes you'll have to end up becoming part of that. As yep. the family of God. Yep. So, my goodness, any closing questions or thoughts for our guest as we go around the room wrapping up this yeah, part I'd two? Yeah, I've got one. Um, and as far as the church is concerned, what kind of things are like, say, let's say the church, what kind of issues can the church do to, like, maybe help out your ministry or to be involved with talking to their congregation without feeling like they're, you know. Being unnecessarily confrontational. (laughs) Right, in a conversational way or feeling like they're dealing with a, you know, a poison snake or something that they're afraid that's going to bite them. You know what I mean? I think one of the things that what's this part reading part from a lot of organizations is that we really want to become the conduit for the church to do the work, Right. We can equip the church to, to do this in a way that's smart and effective, and they can engage that's going to be meaningful for the church and for the person they're serving, right? So we become that conduit. The other thing is that we, we come into a church, and we love to we train the church on what this really looks like. We, we can have, you know, information nights. We can do the, tra- the training. Like I've done the trauma training that I do for our staff and for our volunteers. I come into a church and actually do that. And then, again, having that conversation, what is the church currently doing? Or if you're doing an after-school program, right, then you have the ability to have contact with kids who may be at risk of being trafficked. And now you become that person that they can trust and count on uh, to, to, to share with something that may be happening to them that they haven't shared with anybody, right? right. Um, and so there, there are so many opportunities there for the church to be involved. The, th- the biggest thing is, you know, not to be afraid. I mean, the Scripture is very clear perfect love cast out fear so if you want to love get rid of the fear and the way you get rid of the fear is just becoming informed and so we come into church we help them understand it um, we work with a lot of different churches in that capacity and so it's just about educating them about the realities of everything what they think they know and what what really is going on out there well thank you for that dennis i appreciate it from the chair of philosophy any final thoughts or questions uh, i i don't i just want to say dennis thank you so much for coming and participating with us in this discussion this this program is meant to make people think and i have to believe after these two episodes that people are doing a lot of thinking thinking in in it yeah it should be that way and i really appreciate the eloquent way that you've spoken about some of these issues because um they've been explained really well thank you you. josh 
just thank you for joining us. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, indeed. Thank you. This thank has you. been awesome. And I, th I think one of the biggest things that I've just taken away from this talk is just not being complacent. Amen. Because I don't know, there's a lot of things that you said that in a good way, it's prickled me in a, in a very good way that it's just the stuff is certain, certain stuff is not simmering with anymore yeah i think um you know ch Spurgeon said well he was you know I, I love Spurgeon because he doesn't hold any punches but he said uh when it comes to being a christian you're either a missionary or you're an imposter Ooh. oh man yeah <laughs> it's so i mean spurgeon's got away with words i was gonna say he's he's pointed <laughs> he oh does. man exactly exactly so my final I've got a thought for you and a question, and then uh, I want to ask where people can reach you okay. and, and get get plugged in and tuned in. But um, on the note of pornography as art, I just want to hit that one more time. Uh, I forget the theologian who made this distinction and difference, but they pointed at Michelangelo's statues, and they said, one is an appreciation of the human body. The other one is a degradation of a human's soul. What are your thoughts on, 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 on that? When someone talks about pornography as art, just it, one is not going to get you divorced, right? Right. <laughs> and then the other one is, is, is taking something. Right. I, I think, you know, again, when we, 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 we sugarcoat, that word of pornography so much and we don't really talk about the level of stuff that goes on um like i said we had a couple of women in our program that were, who were victimized in pornography and um theirs was a it was it was very abusive pornography right and so that's again when we we generalize it we think about you know whatever image we want to have the pornography but we don't think about the violent aspect of it and i think that's where we get into really bad situation and so I think uh, when you are torturing somebody, right, when you're literally physically torturing somebody and you're leaving physical torture marks on that person, there is no way you convince me that's an expression of art. That, that just, it doesn't happen, right? That's exploitation of an individual for self-gratification of another human being somewhere in the world. And so, um, yeah, there's, there's, n there's no comparison. Beautifully put, beautifully put. So with that said, where can people reach you, find you? And uh, if they're not in the greater Houston area, how do they get hooked in somewhere local to them? Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, you go to our website. Uh, it's redeemedtx.org is our main website. Uh, we also have a Facebook page. Uh, you go to Facebook, and we're Redeemed Ministries 05. And 05 is, stands for the year that we were formed. Um, and so you, can go, you actually go to the Facebook page. You can actually follow uh, along what's going on in our safe house with the women that are in our program, we talk about their successes and the heartaches and everything they're going through. And so you can kind of learn about what we're doing. Um, but you can reach out to, um, you send an email to me at Dennis at redeemedtx.org. Uh, and if you're not in the state of Texas or someplace else, I still have contact with a lot of different task forces around the country. Uh, I know a lot of different law enforcement agencies as well. And so I can definitely get plug people plugged in where whatever community they're living in, because if they think that this is not happening in their city or their town, then um, they're mistaken. So they need to be informed and engaged. Amen and amen. Hey, John Arthur, and uh, one thing I'd like to say is this. If you could 
put some of this information, his contact in information in, it's in the you description. know, uh, in the description. And also yes. that if there's anybody out there that is listening to this podcast or watching it on YouTube or whatever, and they feel like they've got themselves in this type of position or this is going on in their life, you know, please contact Dennis, man. Uh, just please contact him and and see what he can help you do. I mean, it, this is this is just a horrible thing to be involved in, and please contact him and see what he can't do for you. Right. Amen and amen. Remember, you are uniquely valued. If amen. you are in the situation, you are uniquely valued. Amen. If you are in the position where you have been partaking in 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 the trade, whether via over video or in person, these people have value. Consider closely Amen. what God thinks about that. And again, it's not easy. I know I'm a man. I'm a red-blooded man. I get it. But pray. If you find yourself addicted, pray. If you're in the situation, find some help. Find someone who's willing to empower you, to have you walk in the value that Christ puts on you. Thank you so much. Hope you guys have a wonderful week. Love you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 See you. Thank you.